Like, I know it's weird of a 40-year-old dude to critique I'm the not chemistry of a, of a couple of teenage <laughs> lesbians. Podcast that's here this week. What the hell more do you want from us? My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? No, no. Lori's. No, no. Tonight is Monday, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty three. Your last podcast in February, Abe. Yeah, another fast month. Us, I think that gives us four. Yeah, four February podcasts. Not bad for a four-week month. Yeah, maximized all the Mondays. Or, We've been pretty yeah. consistent lately here That's with right. shows. Episode, I think this is going to be number 133 or something like wow. that. We're, we're creeping up on... Equaling the total number of Whoa. episodes that we had in the first run. And we might have already surpassed it, actually. I'll have to double-check that. But we've podcasted longer now than we did in yeah. the first run. We're what was coming up on yeah. nearly three years of uh, the second edition of the podcast. That's right. Anyway, what did you do this weekend, Dave? Anything exciting? Uh, not much. I was just hanging out with uh, some of... Uh, the people that are on the other podcast, we recorded on Saturday, and we hung out the rest of the day. Just, you know, that. Exciting times. We had our first interaction with spring baseball. We had a Ooh. tryouts for the for the boy to get into the possibly get into the major leagues in our little little league situation here. Major little league. Not sure exactly. If he belongs necessarily in the major leagues, or if I want, I would prefer it if he was in the minor leagues, which is where I will be coaching our daughter, and the cherry bombs will ride again for the third season in a row. Not if you don't have red shirts. I will get the red shirts. Christina will give me the red shirts. Okay. I got a lot of sway with these people, and I'm getting the goddamn red shirts. We will be the cherry bombs again. Is, I would prefer it if he was down in our league, but is, we'll see how uh, that goes. Trying out was this something that was uh, available to Calvin last year, or just the first opportunity Great question, to do this? Great question, Abe. Bob yeah, loves so talking about this. This is uh, this is a complete disaster. The way that this is handled. Uh, longtime listeners of the show, of course, will remember my consistent bitching about the uh, administration and bureaucracy of our local little league. It's not that much bureaucracy. Group. It would be more organized if there was bureaucracy. It probably needs another layer of That's bureaucracy. Right. It needs bureaucracy. <laughs> right now it's chaos. Is the is part of the problem. You're just you're saying bureaucracy the way people say millennial to mean like young person I don't like. Also, no one actually ever says bureaucracy in a non-derogatory way, right? It's usually like presented in a negative light. No one ever yeah. says bureaucracy in a positive light. Bureaucracy right. no, is a millennial just, of, no, of is types a, of gov- of types is, of organization. This is just a very poorly run bureaucracy oh. is the issue. It's not bureaucr- like not in the way that like say 
the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy critique of bureaucracy would be like, oh, it's it's overcomplicated and officious and like a bunch of uh, Byzantine rules and you have no idea what's ever happening. Implies- this is just a, a, a chaotic and poorly run bureaucracy. Anyway, so it's not. Don't need to get bogged down in the details here, but I will on this other question which is how the tryouts are run uh here a picture of this abe you have a little league facility there are three different baseball fields at this facility there's even a batting cage like with a net over it where you can do pitching or hitting practice where you're just isolated like under the net so that the ball doesn't go all over the place or whatever not like a top tier we're not talking this you know it's a little parcel of land out by the highway that has some grass and dirt infields like it's fine it's it's great for a municipal sort of situation right right? not one of these fancy uh like highfalutin private school rich kid kind of uh baseball field situations but uh, uh, a perfectly fine facility great it's america right there you'll you have to love it uh but what they do instead of taking advantage of this very large area with all sorts of different pitchers mounds and infields and places to evaluate talent instead they take all 40 or 50 kids who showed up for tryouts that day and basically put them in a line and then very slowly throw one by one we're going to throw 10 pitches at you and that will determine uh, what we think about your ability to hit the ball and then determine what league you end up in. Right. And then an hour later, you're going to receive three ground balls and two pop flies, and that will be it. Yes. That will be the entirety of the evaluation process. <laughs> and uh, 40 or 50 kids will just be lined up against the fence or sitting on the bench in the dugout uh, watching all of the other kids do this while like seven or eight fat, overweight men – who shouldn't be out there on the baseball field. Objection, (laughs) relevance. Take notes on their ability to play the game of baseball with the idea being that as coaches at the major league level, we will determine which of these kids we want to draft onto our team and which kids we would prefer to just allow to go languish in the minor leagues with the likes of uh, coaches like me. And, like, it drives me crazy because, first of all, it's – completely just uh, poorly organized by the league commissioner and this appears to be his only function in the entire league the only time i've heard his voice in the three years or two years of being in this league is at this event it's the only time that we okay. see him or hear from him ever is when he's in charge of, of running this event and it's a it's utter chaos and a complete waste of time and i have no idea why they do it the way that they do it when like you're talking about Nine to 12-year-old children, it's not like there's some sort of 30-point scout scale right. in terms of, like, uh, if, if the guy's got five or six tools or if he's a plus-plus player or whatever the fuck. Like, none of that. There should be three evaluation criteria, which is there should be a negative, a neutral, and a positive, right? It's like a kid who can barely pick a ball up right. off the ground and throw it to another kid. That that gets a, a minus one, Right. right. Then we have the neutrals, our kids who are like, can sort of throw a baseball back and forth. And then we have a kid who's like, oh, oh, a baseball player. Look at that. A baseball player. That gets the positive. That should be the entire evaluation critique. And you want to look at them pitch. We want to look at them field. Then, like, we have the facilities to set up different stations and have enough adults run those stations so that kids are always doing something. And it takes, like, half the amount of time. Okay. And that, that would really help, too. Instead, they'd run it like this, and it's just a disaster. So just uh, 
is it is it, is the main criticism that uh, the assessment process isn't thorough enough, or it's too thorough? You heard the main criticism. The main criticism is that it's poorly organized. Okay, so the organization is sloppy, and because I'm wondering, and also there's no, there, I, I I completely reject the idea that any evaluation in a meaningful way actually takes place because we're talking about literally. It's it's not even a set ten pitches. It's just like whenever the old guy looks up from his notebook long enough to realize that the kid's been up there for some amount of time, and he's like, "Okay, run out the next one." It's like, "Okay, right. <laughs> great job, guy. We'll have him run out the next one." Like he did. Like this kid got seven pitches. That kid got twelve pitches. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. And like uh, for most of these kids, it's somewhere between. I haven't ever picked up a bat in my life, and I probably haven't picked up a bat in the last nine months. Right. right? And you're not learning anything from putting a bat in a kid's hand for the first time in nine months either. Like, I, I just – it so, makes okay. me a little bit crazy. The, this, uh, this whole thing, is it for the – because it, it sounds like there's two different, like, leagues and, like, the upper, like, more advanced level and just everyone else, right? Are, yeah. Yeah. Do do the kids have to try out for both or just the the more advanced one? They're no, trying out for the advanced one. Yeah, this is just to determine whether or not the major league coaches want to bring them up to their league, basically. So, like, if you couldn't come to tryouts, right. you're just in minors. You're not not playing. Gotcha. Right. So unless, you're in, right. unless, like, you're a, you're, a, you're a parent who's like, actually, my kid's really good and he should be in the major leagues or something. Like, uh, that's the other thing. Right. It's like, you could probably just trust the parents. Right. But like, then... But then to, to that point, uh, yeah, I would imagine that the parents would screen out their child who just doesn't know baseball and just like, oh, I don't know. How do you right. hold this thing, right? So, like, there shouldn't be too many of those trying for the more advanced. But they want to evaluate everyone. Like, in order to make it fair, they demand that okay. everyone be evaluated. Gotcha. And part of it is also, like, they want to have four major league teams. So they're going to expand the talent pool and make the major league sort of mean less anyway. And at, first of all, it's going to cost the minor league. I mean, it sounds silly like, to think about uh, what I'm complaining about. But they're going to take kids who probably belong in the minor leagues. Yeah. Like Calvin, is, he's a, he would be very young to be in the major leagues. Like this, he's a young 10. And like as far as the league goes, he's sort of a youngish 10. And also the, those are 11 and 12 year olds that he would be playing against. And like, but by the talent, if they're going to have four teams at the major league level, he's definitely going to be a quote unquote major league. Gotcha. There's no reason for that. He should be with me at the minor league level and be one of the better kids in the entire minor league, but whatever. It's frustrating. And it's one of those things where like we're on the sidelines and I'm commiserating with the a couple of the other coaches in the minor league and also a bunch of parents who I know after a couple of seasons of doing this. And we are all in complete agreement that this is an entirely worthless exercise, yeah. that what we're watching is utterly pointless and no, no one can be gaining anything from this. And the only option in terms of fixing it would be like a hostile takeover Ooh, of league like a management coup? In, in some way. Yeah. Like there would have to be a coup. <laughs> There's no mechanism uh, in place to like, if it might be volunteering to take over, it might not have to be a hostile coup. Okay. It might it could be just like a hey, do you want do you want help? Right. And they'd be like, Oh, yes. Yeah, relieve them of their duty in a nice I way. don't think that I mean, these people don't want help. They're perfectly these happy. People. There you go again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've already painted them a certain way, Bob. <laughs> They're bad people. 
They're not bad people. They're just they're very well-meaning people. Right. But would they not be open to? I mean, you don't think if you presented a more organized way to go about it, they would be okay? Oh, didn't think of that. Let's let's run that next time. Well, we've been doing it this way for 15 years. <laughs> Why would you do it any other way? Well, it doesn't well, work. <laughs> what is your problem there? You must be from the city. <laughs> anyway, uh, what should we talk about this week, Abe? Anything in the oh, news? Oh, you know, the usual. The President, President Carter is still alive. Still hanging in there. He shall see to March at this point, right? If I, uh, I get to this point in the show and I ask Abe what he wants to talk about, it's kind of like, like getting on the bus and having the bus driver be like, hey, hey, why don't you drive this thing for a little while? <laughs> I'm going to go sit in the back and you look at the bus driver like, hey, what, are you fucking, what are you talking about? You, you always drive this bus. Get the fuck out of here. Have you paid attention to the uh, what's going on at Alabama basketball? I keep getting notifications Alabama about it as basketball. though I give right. a shit. I have a who gives a shit news bag sports bag edition planned for later in the show. Oh, all right. Let's just do let's just do that here. All right. uh, unzip the who gives a shit news bag sports bag edition. Abe, what's going on with Alabama? So basketball? first of all, maybe because Georgia dethroned Alabama or what? But Alabama is very good at basketball now. They're a basketball school. Yeah, are they? The, I like saw the they were the number second, one team in the country. Yeah, or one or two. I think they dropped to two. Uh, but really good team. They have a star player uh, on their roster. And um, so all it takes in college basketball is, is having the one. In the recent past, other members of the same Alabama basketball team got into some sort of confrontation with some locals in Alabama. Uh, they asked for the star player, whose name I'm forgetting right now, Miller, um, he was, in, you know, wherever he was, and they asked him, hey, uh, we're getting to this heated exchange. Can you bring my gun so that I can continue this heated exchange? The person, the freshman, the star player, obliges. No, that was the wrong decision. Who, You know, people start shooting. A woman gets killed. Uh, and oh, geez. those players are charged. When for- was this? This is in, in Alabama. Like, this is a couple of months ago. Like, what? Recent? Okay. Yeah. So, this is like, yeah, a couple of months ago. Anyways, the, the players, they were kind of like reserved, but they're basically, their lives are basically over now. They're going to be tried for murder. The star player doesn't get charged with anything because the argument is they didn't know what they were bringing the gun for, and you have a right to have a gun. Basically, they, 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 they did not charge them with that, like, an accomplice or accessory or any sort of like facilitating any one of those right. charges. Are there any other gun crimes? Do you know if they're like, is this a legally owned weapon? Is it, was it? So they haven't charged anything on that yet. Uh, so I don't know if they'll okay. add to it later, but basically they just kept it as just a murder for the, the, the one who shot and something else for the other basketball player. But the star player, not only no charges, Nothing with his basketball career. He's still playing. He, in fact, is doing this very uh, poorly thought out like celebration thing. You know, when they introduce players, you know, everybody has to have like a handshake or like a so dance like, or do something. The finger like the Simity Sam hands in <laughs> no. the air. In a similar vein, but basically, he gets one of his uh, teammates to pat him down to demonstrate that he oh, doesn't right. have the gun. Which is uh, in poor taste. He, As a reaction to the thing that happened, or was this a pre-existing? Well, 
apparently he was doing it for some time before, but he continued to do it since. And people are saying, come on, like you can't, can't stop doing what that. Is the, what is the, I don't like, know. I kind of like it. I'm coming to this unarmed. <laughs> yes, I just yes. like, is that the idea? I'm going to kill you anyway, yeah, even though I'm coming yeah. unarmed. I guess. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think that that's good. I kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know why. But I mean, it, 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 it's, it's inconceivable that he didn't know that he would bring in the gun for some reason, like, right. And for him to still do this, he is apparently projected to be a top pick, like top 10 in the NBA. And they asked some executives uh, in the NBA and they say, yeah, they didn't charge him. So it doesn't mean anything. There's no character issues. He'll go where he'll go based on his talent. And he's pretty talented, apparently. But uh, that's Alabama basketball. Yeah, there you have it. Cool. Cast iron brains on the Alabama Crimson Tide (laughs) basketball team. As long as we're doing basketball, we'll jump to uh, this this question of scoring in the National Basketball Association. So, just in the last uh, week or so, there have been two games in which each team scored 175 points or more. Yes. Now, granted, one of those was uh, at the All Star Game, yeah. where nobody plays defense. Nope, yeah, where... but the other one was in regular in, in regular season action, but it was double overtime, right? right? It was double overtime, but I think the regulation game ended at 153 <laughs> points to 153 <laughs> points. And then the final score was after two o- overtime periods was 176 to 175. Abe, as someone uh, who follows basketball, I mean, I can only explain. It's just so granular detail, the amount of uh, attention that you pay to the beautiful game of basketball, certainly compared to me, which is none attention to the game of basketball, except maybe if Lori is not paying attention when the finals are on, I might be allowed, permitted to watch an NBA finals game or two each season. Why is there, and I've read one, the athletic article about all of the scoring in uh, basketball, but Abe, why is there so much scoring in basketball? Well, I mean, the the simplest answer is that I mean, the three-point line has been around for 40-plus years, but especially in the last 10 years, there's been an emphasis on, hey, shoot more of the the, the uh, field goals that are three points versus the two points, right? Basically, some somebody, I guess, used some advanced analytics to determine that three points yeah. is better why, than two why points. Why did it take so goddamn long <laughs> for them to figure that out? The... Well, I think initially they were, without considering like getting better at the three points, they're just saying, well, the percentage of shots made from three was worse than two so two is still a better option like if you're if you can more reliably score two points then go with that one imagines trying to talk to shaquille o'neal and be like no shaq you're gonna shoot it from like 30 feet away from the basket (laughs) and and shaq is standing there under the basket going but i can just put it i could just i can just i could just take it and put it yeah and get two points yeah but instead, you want me to take my 350 pounds and back 30 feet away and try to hurl this ball right. across the court? That would be foolish right. of me to do that. Yeah, basically, players have gotten so much better at shooting threes. And anytime, right. I mean, not only was there this ridiculous 170-point game in regular season action, you know, again, setting aside the All-Star exhibition, uh, there were also, like, couple of occasions where like 60 plus points were scored by one player or 70 points by one player um, i think damian lillard just had a 71 point game yes. a couple days ago in right? like 39 minutes of, of of play because they're shooting so many three-pointers and a lot of them are going in you know i do wonder if it's like uh you know like war 
back in the olden day, they used to just be like, let's get in a field and just shanky shank each other. And then yeah. they get better weaponry and they're like further apart, further apart. And now yeah. we got people in Utah pressing buttons, bombing somebody in Afghanistan, right? So we're getting further and further that's away. Correct, Abe. That's great. So that leads to my 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 what is it guess as to why there's so much scoring is because basketball is a bad game <laughs> and i've i think i've gone on the record saying war is bad repeatedly so yeah so war is bad and basketball is like war right. so I, I i don't share uh laurie's opinion on one of those two do you, things do you but... believe that this is a problem is there too much yes. scoring in basketball should there be less scoring in yes. basketball? yes so there is this uh sport uh, uh scoring inflation uh problem where there's it dilutes the game where you know why are you watching the first half first of all like it's like 80 80 at halftime like who cares i'll just catch it in the fourth quarter where are they just not playing like part of this is just like we're not going to bother with defense very much again there got to be some of that there is some of that but also defense in the past you know because there was so much emphasis on shooting as close to the net as possible you can defend players better when they're concentrated in a, over a smaller space, right? But if somebody like Steph Curry is shooting from half court, how are you going to defend that, right? I mean, what are you going to do, right? So right. they're going to make those – if those go in, there's not much you can defend against. So there is some issues with defense. It's also the rules. There aren't a lot of, you know, hand-checking. There are a lot of, like, uh, things in the past you can get away with. You can rough up players a little more. Referees would look the other way or the, the rules would allow it. Now you can you can barely touch them, uh, and so they have a, a lot of space. Now I heard you say a few weeks ago when LeBron James set the all-time scoring record, which uh, we didn't talk about on yes. the show, but the LeBron James went yeah. to nearly forty thousand points, yeah. right? Career point, like yeah, thirty-nine thousand yeah, some yeah, odd yeah. number of points, and he broke Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, long-standing uh, a record that has stood for as long as we've been alive, basically. Right. right? And I think uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar set that record some forty years ago. And it took that long for someone to come along and break it. By the way, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has a great Substack, and people should uh, go check it out. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Kareem writes the occasional uh, very interesting essay. He seems like a very thoughtful dude. Yeah, he's very and thoughtful. And I guy, yeah. enjoyed his uh, recent piece about how he was going to be perfectly happy with LeBron James uh, breaking his record, contrary to apparently some media speculation that he was a grumpy old fuck who was uh, pissed off about his record falling. Why would he be mad about that? I don't remember what why. What kind of a crazy person would be mad? You know how these athletes are. I don't them. know that athletes are mad when their records oh, are broken. No. I'm sure is that a thing? They they put on a brave face. I think even – I'm sure Kareem is probably upset. Like I think even people that say they don't care because like their identity is wrapped around – these achievements, See, but right? that's where that's where Kareem no, has an advantage over a lot of the, like he's not yeah, he's not I the Mister Three Thousand right. uh, Bernie Mac character. Right. Like he's got the his, his identity isn't wrapped around know. that particular record, and he's got a lot I, else going on. I can name a handful of like classic basketball players. Yeah, I don't know which of them have records in anything. Right, like that's not it's also their a less, legacy. It's a less important thing in like. The, those guys all know their numbers, but from a pop cultural perspective, like it's not like baseball where everything is about the statistics yeah. and you can you can rattle off a bunch of numbers. Where Lori and I used to have a fun fight. Well, about, the first fight we ever had about whether in or a real not, way was about whether or not 
Hank Aaron's home run number yeah. is pop culture knowledge or sports <laughs> trivia. And I have the advantage of knowing a lot of people from a lot of different you backgrounds. You also further have the advantage of the last 20 years of baseball being like a rapidly declining okay, but this sport was like in 20 terms years of the ago. national conversation. This was so long and ago. And what I'm saying is that I when asked we first— my mother who was alive. Your mother— I'll leave it at that. Pop but, culture. <laughs> but, Pop culture. Uh, Pop culture is what you're saying it was. Yeah, it was. You're a, wrong. I think that Hank Aaron. <laughs> it's one of your beating, worst takes. Beating Babe Ruth's record was a pop cultural moment, and especially when it happened, 714 being eclipsed by 715 was something that the average pop culture knower of the time would have on hand. And maybe even the number 755, which was uh, Hank Aaron's eventual total, further, it was maybe a more difficult piece of pop culture trivia, but a piece of pop culture trivia nonetheless. And not you didn't simply call it pop culture trivia, not you simply said a piece of sports knowledge. trivia information. Pop culture knowledge. Everybody knows <laughs> Michael Jackson sang Thriller and Hank Aaron hit 755 <laughs> home runs. That's Bob. Really in touch. Although that's a. I guess that's a pretty legitimate argument because, like, you're right. I mean, like, what what, what would be a, a good comp then? I mean, is Babe Ruth pop culture or sports? Like, I mean, like, yes, Babe Ruth. So some from he, the Sandlot is pop culture. Crosses over, so you need some name a baseball player. Right. Babe Ruth. Right. What were we talking about? <laughs> Something about basketball. Right. So, I, can we talk about baseball I, still? I, I do think uh, on the basketball front, uh, it is a problem. The this high scoring thing. Um, I likened it to. The NBA needs to have like a uh, Jerome Powell type. There should be some sort of tools available to the league to bring down kind of like the high inflation, to bring down inflation, bring down the scoring inflation down through the rules. All right, I got a solution for you. As, a, as, a, as everybody knows, I'm a great basketball knower, and my solution is elegant and beautiful, and the answer is goalkeepers. All right, so – I like it. I like any. I like any instead change of, to this game. Instead of five on five, what you have is five on five with somebody who just hangs out and guards the basket. So it's on offense. It's five on six for both offenses. You're actually down a man. It's a permanent power play for the defense that will reduce scoring. Certainly, you spread out all you goddamn want. We're gonna put two dudes on Steph Curry, so he can if he wants to launch from the from the logo, then he's welcome to. But right. it's not gonna work out for him. <laughs> my my idea, I've walked away from a, an idea that I came up with a, a while ago, which was kind of like a almost like a circuit breaker. Like there's, it should be an upper limit of three points counted. And you, if you go above oh, yeah. it, everything is two points. And then it would encourage everybody to go back closer to the net and more old school basketball. But uh, there are too many problems. The, the more I thought about it, like, well, what if the team is behind and they're trying to catch up and you're, they've already hit their limit? Like it would have been a little too convoluted. Uh, but something right. to like discourage so much shooting from like that far of a distance because it, I mean, it seems like it seems like they have to allow more fouling like they, they need to allow more defensive touching and not call as many right, fouls right right yeah like basically they need to the... have fewer allow a, a rougher form of basketball to come into play that kind of right. kept things honest you know yeah that would be better too whenever i watch basketball which sometimes it's on and i'm like what what is right. you're not allowed to touch and bob's like oh yeah you're not allowed right. to you can't touch I do wonder uh, if, if, if they if they change a shot clock if they they went from twenty four to thirty five kind of the opposite because 
college basketball, the problem is that they're just dragging. Nobody was scoring. You'd have these weird like 45, 42 final uh, scores right, in you're basketball. Just, you're describing the University of Virginia basketball yes. team. Yeah, <laughs> everybody hates it. But like have it to – because if those of uh, out there who watch basketball, you'll notice that as soon as one team scores, they're within half a second – they're already halfway the other way attempting to score. And within like five seconds, they're, they have another opportunity to score on the other side. There's The pace of play is way too fast. So like if you encourage, hey, take your time. What's the hurry? Set up the right, play. So you predicted, the reason that I brought up LeBron's scoring record is that you predicted that we would never see LeBron's, uh, he'll finish with some 42,000 points or something like right. that, but yeah. assuming he plays for another couple of years. You, you said that there's no way that we will right. ever see that record fall in the That's same right. way that, that most people our age back when Kareem retired wouldn't have seen that record fall, that grown-ass adults now will not see uh, LeBron's record fall. Do you think that – I know that you're going to hold to that position. Of you course. only made this prediction three weeks ago. No, no change in position with the wild amount of scoring that's happening? The wild happening amount now? of scoring is – you know, at a team level, and yes, you, you'll have your Lillards and like other players who will score 50, 60, 70 points in a particular game. What LeBron has done, he's done for like 20 years at this yeah, level. Yeah, very, very consistent and productive. And in fact, even with the last couple of years of being on very shitty Lakers teams. He's uh, still not, producing, not, yeah. Still producing big numbers. As you know the answer to this, how many three-point attempts did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have in his entire career, and how many did he make? How many points did he score off of the three-pointer? Do you recall? I believe he made one of nine or one of something. One, I believe it was one of ten total shots that he took from beyond the arc, because, of course, he didn't play his whole career with a three-point line, but he did play, I think, nine or ten seasons, and he averaged one three-point attempt per year uh, in his last 10 years in the league and only made one of them. Right. right? So he managed to accumulate nearly 40,000 points with just one of those baskets coming from the three-point line or beyond. Uh, LeBron James has sort of straddled two eras here where you you sort of have the pre-Steph Curry NBA where the three was, yes, it was on the rise, but it wasn't fucking crazy yet and then you have the last five or six years or so where everybody's just hurling up threes all the time why in the world where we've gone from there not being a two-point shot or they're not being a three-point shot to uh, nobody really taking the three-point shot to now all of the analytics say hey you idiots right uh, just spread out and take the three-point shot why would we not end up with some future superstar of the Steph Curry variety who's able to stay healthy for 20 years and just rack up far more points than LeBron James yes, would if, be. If somebody could play for 20 years at a high clip, yes. But what I'm saying is it is such a outlier that LeBron's like a robot. I'm sure if they did like a thing and it turned out he's like not actually human, I would believe it. Is like, he chat GPI? Yeah, maybe if, that, you GPT, know. Yeah. If he wasn't human, they would have given him better hair. Right. Also, that's true. But maybe they had to cut some corners. That was like a side effect. You know, like that uh, (laughs) weight loss. No, you have to make it realistic. What was that weight loss drug? That weight loss drug that made your face all. Ozempic. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a cost. And also, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but LeBron and Steph were born in the same hospital. If that hospital turned out to be some sort of weird government own thing. Scare quotes, born in the same hospital. I wouldn't be surprised. Out, out but, of the same Chinese lab, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah. But what I'm Where saying, DeMar Hamlin is now. I, I, I don't think 
there will be like the Steph Curry. I don't think is going to play for eighteen twenty because he'll need to get to that level. And if they do it, no, then I don't yeah. think it's going to. Be, I don't think it's going to be Steph Curry. I right. just think that the way that the game is played, the fact that it's changed so dramatically in the last few years. Like I'm not saying that there's going to be a ton of dudes who are going to definitely break the record. Right. But like, I, I think it's silly to say that we won't no, see somebody not, do it. Not in our lifetime. All right. Let's talk about baseball rules changing. Yeah, we'll we'll do with. Uh, we're just a month away now. A little bit more than a month, or right at a month away from the first game of the Major League Baseball season, which I think the opening day this year is March 30th, and all 30 teams will be playing on opening day for the first time since, I think the number is 1968. I think this is the first time Why has that been a problem? It's not been a problem. They just haven't arranged the schedule that that way. Did the... Uh, did did the Reds used to have like some sort of like noteworthy thing to start the years or? Yeah, that was just it was sort of a tradition I think for the Reds and there was this there was a time in the last few years where I think they've played a couple of opening series in Japan, okay, uh, or or other like maybe Mexico City or something other international sites I don't know. This year it's all thirty teams March thirtieth ready to go, uh, and of course we're all excited for that. And by all of us, I mean uh, me. I'm excited. You know who told me about these new rules coming? Some client of mine, not my husband. Look at that. Of note. Don't sit around discussing the finer points of Major League Baseball rule changes, I guess. Uh, I do at work with other dudes. What other (laughs) rules? I only know one of. Is there more than one? Because I. There's so much. I read that apparently if you take too long, it can count as a strike. Right, so we'll start there. Uh, the The first rule change that's going to have the most profound impact on the game as it is played is the pitch clock and what amounts to a batter's clock as well. This is from the New York Times write-up of this. In 2021, an average game set a record at 3 hours and 11 minutes. The average game was 2 hours 44 minutes in 1985, which is, of course... A fairly significant difference, and it's largely blamed on the dilly-dallying that takes place between pitches. And there are numerous examples of players through the years who stand out for the amount of goddamn time that they take. Who was the, the worst, by the way? I remember ready. Nomar was... East, East Nomar Garcia Parra is the one that everybody goes to, right. but he's by no means alone. But Nomar's routine was... It was as obnoxious as like... And Rafa Nadal is my favorite tennis player of all time, probably. But watching Rafa prepare to serve... When it's like we're three games into a five-set match in the second round of the U.S. Open. And it's like there are five and a half more hours of tennis, Rafa. Right. You need to serve the goddamn <laughs> ball. And he's just bouncing it for 20 minutes. It's funny because it doesn't bother me when a pitcher does it. But the tennis people, it bothers me more. Do, do you think uh, it's a uh, strategy? You know, like to kind you know, like it's no, a very cardio-intensive yes, kind of... It absolutely is. They're yeah. trying to throw off each other's rhythms. Right. There's pitcher can step off the mound and throw to first base or just step off the mound and, like, give the signal to the catcher to do the signs again. The batter steps up. The batter can pretend that there's a bug in his face and he, like, swats at the air yeah. and has to step off and readjust the batting gloves and all that shit. They're trying to fix that because, like, the idea has been in the past, like, the umpires just need to handle it. Like, hey, if you see a guy who's taking too much time, fucking say something to him yeah. uh, or, or get his ass in the box one way or another. But it just wasn't working. It's, it's, we've ceded too much power to players. So one way to take that power back is to 
put a clock up behind the, power. the pitcher and put a clock up behind the batter so that the pitcher can see the pitch clock and the batter can see the pitch clock. And right. the pitchers will have 15 seconds with the bases empty and 20 seconds with a runner on. They must begin their motion in that time or a ball will be called. So that is from the time that they get the ball back from the catcher. So they receive the ball back from the catcher. Then somebody upstairs clicks the button and the clock starts and they have 15 seconds. Along with that, the batter must be ready for the pitch, must make eye contact with the pitcher by the eight second mark or be assessed a strike. And I'm going to play now a clip from the Braves' first preseason game over the weekend. This will be the Boston Red Sox television broadcast of it because the Braves was just on radio and I want everyone to be able to see it here. All right, so the Braves and Red Sox were playing their first preseason game of the year. It was uh, six to three, I believe, going into the bottom of the ninth. The Braves put three runs on the board to make it six to six, had the bases loaded with two outs, and Young, I believe his name is uh, Cal Conley, who's a second baseman not likely to make the major league team this year, I don't believe, comes to the plate and works the count full. So we have a full count, bottom of the ninth. 6-6 six, six is the score. Drama builds in the Grapefruit League. <laughs> and viewed nationwide. You feel it? 2-2 two, two pitch. Oh! Just off the edge with the split, and it's a full count. John Luke. You got to give me this pitch. I don't know if he just loves the drama or what, but eh, maybe just a little bit off the plate. But could have rung him up easily. Uh oh. And now what? He's out. They have called strike three. Wow! It makes me this nauseous. Is <laughs> oh! Automatic strike three called with the bases loaded. This is the, the opposite. This is baseball in 2023. Oh, the two strike strikeout. That's it. Two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Three two. Bases are juiced, and he wasn't alert in time. They made baseball more boring. Congrats. Wow. The player on replay, they finally do show it. He doesn't look up to make eye contact with the pitcher until there are seven seconds left on the clock he doesn't even dilly dally he's just in the box he's standing there at the plate but he doesn't raise his eyes to look at the pitcher until there's like seven and then maybe approaching six if you really slow it down seconds left on the clock and so the umpire throws up his hands and says you're out and, and that's the end of the fucking game because it's preseason and they don't play extra innings in spring training this is uh, obviously something that Hopefully won't occur very often. Especially <laughs> by the like time in the we get to the or, regular season. Or the World Series, but yeah. This is anathema to the sport of baseball as far as I'm concerned. And I, I appreciate to some extent this like we need to speed the game up because like I agree. Watching uh is like the, the classic example is a Yankees Red Sox game on ESPN on a Sunday night. Opening pitch is like eight oh five. And if you want to watch the whole game, you're going to be up past midnight every fucking time. Like those games would drag on for fucking forever. And the fact that the National League has gone to a full-time designated hitter also, and a designated hitter just extends the game because uh, pitchers have 
tend to have shorter at-bats against pitchers because pitchers are bad hitters, right? So there's is sort of an easier number of outs. There's more in the traditional National League game. There'd be more sacrifice bunts or sac- like attempts at, at playing small ball, which is just moving the runner along, that sort of thing. So as the National League game has just become the American League game, those games got longer as well, which is another reason that the average game length got longer. And I'm fine with that. But like this idea that we're going to materially affect at-bats and games because of it is not okay with me. I would much rather there was some sort of a fine system in place or a warning system or something. But like in the same way that it was silly to me that they – had the World Series home field advantage used to hinge on the result of the All-Star game. Like, yeah, the idea yeah. that you didn't, that you, it's that level of arbitrary in like relative to what's actually happening on the field. And it, it just, it's not okay. I'm not okay with it. Were there other ideas floated around? Because, you know, to your point, like, a warning system, you know, like, uh, for instance, uh, everyone's favorite sport, uh, uh, soccer, where they kick the ball around. They have right. the, mm-hmm. the yellow, yellow red, card, red card system. Um, yeah. And when they when they play in, in tournaments, uh, it can carry over like two yellows or whatever. Like if there's a way to get the point across, because I think most people would agree, especially if they show the chart like in 1985 or 1990, it took this many minutes for an average game to end, and now it's like 20 minutes or 30 minutes longer, right? And so we want to go back to the way it was, make baseball great again or whatever. But this is too punitive uh, a way to do it. Uh, and so maybe come up with some sort of warning and then, I don't know what, like a punishment, uh, like a fine or get rid of the player for the rest of the game. Maybe that's also too uh, punitive. But there's got to be some way because you can kind of see how – a game could be decided uh, on this when it's like a pivotal game in the playoffs or, or the World Series. Right. And like, is, I don't know what is or is not reviewable when it comes to this situation. But like if the umpire – like, because like you, you know you watch an NFL game and the, we know that the play clock is actually expired. But they, they, they quote yeah. unquote, they got it off in time, right? Before It's not like there's some sort of buzzer that sounds and that's just the end of it. With this, there are going to be umpires who aren't as quick on the trigger as other umpires. This will be another way that we evaluate umpires. Yeah. And like I, I wonder how that's going to function. Some umpires are going to give guys that eight, seven second window or whatever, and then therefore also give the pitcher maybe an extra second right. on the back end. I mean, whatever. Like I, I definitely am fine with this encouragement of keeping assholes in the box because it as a baseball fan it drives me nuts when it takes 45 seconds like because there are 45 seconds to a minute sometimes between pitches obviously it gets much more intense in the playoffs too i don't know how this is going to fly in the playoffs yeah. where everything just sort of gets drawn out naturally there's a, a fun article with uh, max scherzer uh, the mets guy used to be a washington nationals pitcher uh, he's always played for teams that I hated, but I've had no choice but to like the guy, unfortunately, because he's just a fucking maniac out there. And I really like maniacs when it comes to my sports stars. And he's talking about like how much fun he's having with the 15-second pitch clock because by the letter of the law, as soon as that guy's eyes come up, yeah. he's allowed to throw the ball. So he's, he's standing there right. just like waiting for the guy right. to look up so he can then rear back. and So, okay, shouldn't that be the solution? And I, I initially thought maybe this was too goofy of an answer, but if somebody else is uh, kind of gaming around it, 
okay, this 15 seconds, eight seconds thing, the idea is that you don't want the, the, the hitter to deprive the pitcher of their time to take action, you know, because once it hits zero, then the pitcher is now on the hook. So if you right. had it to where we're not going to call it a strike after eight seconds, but after eight seconds, it's fair game. If the pitcher is ready at eight and you're still fucking fumbling with your whatever – he th- throws it down. That's a strike. It's a strike. That's a strike. Right. Like you. Ha- yeah, that's way better. You know that way. Also, you I can steal they, first. I think that yeah. they had to. They they wanted to make a rule where they have to have a situation where they're meeting out punishments equally to right. both pitcher and hitter. That's, so they're yeah. like, okay, so if the batter doesn't look up, then we got to give him a strike, and if the pitcher doesn't isn't ready to go, then he gets a ball and that sort of thing. But I think that yours is probably closer to right, yeah, which is good. like stay in the goddamn box. Be ready, and if you're not ready, it's then on, it's on you. uh, you're just they're just gonna time, throw a strike at your face. It's yeah, you should be able to throw a pitch whenever you want, right? Because I mean, currently, so like, cur- also, you should be able to take off to first base whenever you want, right? <laughs> that, that, maybe in, in future seasons, uh, they should implement that, but currently, as it's written. Do you have to maintain the gaze? Like, if you meet the eight seconds, right, and you're looking up, and then you're just, like, back to fumbling, like, at six seconds. Then you're, assu- you're assumed to be ready. Okay. So you have to be ready at eight seconds. Okay. Which is another thing that I don't like about the rule, which is the same thing that I don't like about the four-pitch walk where you don't actually have to throw the four pitches, right? So a few years ago, they introduced the just raise four fingers, and the guy gets to go to first base yeah. for the intentional walk. Whereas in the old days... The pitcher had to stand there and literally throw four right. balls, right. and he would try to throw them significantly off the yeah. plate. So and on the, rare occasions, the, uh, there'll be an errant throw, but it's usually uneventful, right? On rare occasions, it would result in an actual baseball play, right. right? Where it would go near enough to the plate for the batter to reach out and take a stab at it, or it would fly over the catcher's right. fucking head and go to the backstop, and whoever was on base could start running around like crazy people. Right. It was sports, and raising four fingers from the dugout and saying he can just go to first base is the opposite of sports in a similar fashion you shouldn't just be assessed a strike because your eyes weren't forward right. if you get to eight seconds and max scherzer sees that you're not looking yet yeah. he just throws the ball right and if it's a strike then you call it a right. fucking strike right. but insisting that like because you weren't technically ready at the time it's automatically a strike that's not sports right that's something else right anyway it's a bad rule in trying to solve a, a real problem and i recognize that and like it's only the like ronald acuna jr is guilty of it there's plenty of my favorite baseball players who are guilty of dicking around too long before they're ready to play I baseball i like the suspense i hate how long things take but also it builds the suspense it's what basketball entirely lacks is any amount of suspense yeah. Situational. It's, yeah. it, this is all hor- Also, they made the bases bigger, which is good. I mean, they're it's still safe. going so to be suspense. People aren't no... like stepping on each other. Is, is that, by the way, on that point, uh, Lori uh, and Bob, it, it, did they change the size uh, of the place just so that they're not like stepping on yeah, each so other? Yeah, so I thing? don't have to watch Tim Hudson's ankle get broken okay. again. So that's basically like a safety. I, I think I said it, it was I think unpleasant I said last week or the week before that they changed first base and third base. That was wrong. They changed all three of the bases in the field. They also changed second base. So they went from 15 inches on each side of the square to 18 inches on each side of the square. I feel so like it's fine. Three that's- square inches or three inches bigger on each side of the base. And that it's fine. It's What it's going to do is it's going to make the stolen base a slightly more 
easy play to accomplish because I mean it sounds silly, but it that's six inches, right? You're you're already now six inches closer to second base when you have your toe right. on first base. I mean it, it's not nothing. In yeah, the, especially in the when you see of, those uh, slow mo like at second base right. and it's like very very close. Like that that could be the difference. Yeah, and apparently it will help. They think it's going to help with player safety stuff. Uh, the alternative, I guess, was to put like a ghost base on the foul side of first base, the way that you sometimes see in like little league or, or softball leagues or something like that. Like if you have a beer softball league, a lot of times you don't actually have to hit real first base when you're running down the field. You instead have to hit the first base that's next to first right, base, like parallel to that's it. Yeah. In, that's in right. That's right next to it, but in foul territory. Right. And that, like, that's a, that would have been another solution, but less aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it w- it would look weird. Uh, have they? You know, in other sports, they will test these things out at the lower level. Did this get a a shot like at, in the minors to see how the eight seconds? Yes, zero they second- did this. I think they did both of these rules in the minors in the last couple of years. Okay, so yeah. maybe. It's just weird, you know, because it made a lot of. I, I just kept on reading about, uh, especially that that play that you just just played a second ago. I wonder if it won't be a thing. Like in May, like looking back at it, like oh, everybody kind of figured it out, they adjusted, and it has no real impact on the game. Do you think it's going to be one of those like all the players figured it out? They're they're going to look up and the pitch. Overwhelmingly, by the time we get to to June, this won't be a problem. Okay. It will happen from time to time, and it I don't, but I don't think it'll be a problem. Again, I think it's going to be most interesting when it comes to sort of end of the season and playoff games where the the stakes are raised unnaturally high, and it's harder to get people to work under that sort of pressure at fifteen second clips. How many minutes? I know this is just going to be one season. How many minutes do you? expect that this will shave like five minutes so i was looking at something that jason stark said about that and i'll pull it up now so i don't get it wrong but it i think it's like on average these games have been 25 minutes faster wow look at that than the same games played last year and yeah all right so jason stark one more update on the impact of the pitch timer average game time is down 22 minutes so far last spring it was three hours and one minute this spring two hours 39 minutes wow look at that get it to two and a half hours that'd be great yeah and like believe me i love short baseball games the greatest thing in the world growing up watching the braves was knowing that when greg maddox was going to pitch you could be in for like an hour 45 minute baseball game because he was going to work quickly there were going to be a lot of ground balls and you're going to be done in just a couple of hours and i'm all for that i'm just not sure that the punitive way that they're handling it is necessarily correct all right also on that same exact front you have a rule that states that the pitcher in order to save time as well can only throw over to first base or uh, like when you when you're holding a runner on uh, you can't endlessly throw over. So one of the most obnoxious things yeah, that, that I support, I like that that fans do, is when a pitcher for the opposing team throws over to first base, the entire crowd starts booing, booing lustily, yes. right? and like maybe <laughs> they let you? the first one go, but if you throw over a second time to protect, <laughs> to to try to protect and keep the guy from stealing second base on you, you will be booed lustily by the home crowd, and like what, to the point where sometimes booing? I think sometimes I think the home crowd even boos their own pitchers for they this. Do. Like it's become it's such a thing. 
What started it? Like, what is the what is the motivation behind it? Because I, I always find it amusing when when people. It's uh, it's throw the ball. Uh, do you your job. Pussy, throw the ball. <laughs> Just coward. throw the ball. Do the guy's not it... going anywhere, or he's. Uh, this is a probability thing. He's either gonna go or he's not. Just pitch. But do, do do you think that it's like do they think it's like unbecoming, or you're trying to sneak your way into an out? Like you're not doing it the right way. Like just a, boring. It's like, it's like right, but it's also entirely hypocritical because like one of the loudest cheers you'll hear in a game, barring somebody hitting a triple, which is like the most exciting play in baseball, is when there's a dude just tearing ass around the field for third base. Is when you get a pickoff. Like, but everybody freaks the yes. fuck out. Okay. Like, oh, man. I that's fucking, talking about. that fucking Wait. idiot. That idiot was <laughs> leaning too much. How often is someone picked off at first base compared to other stolen bases? I don't know what the pickoff rate is. It's very it's, low. It's but. so low. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth doing. Just throw the pitch. What so the, happens though? They can't. They can only throw over there. How many times? You can disengage. You're allowed to step off the mound or throw over to attempt to chase a runner back twice. So you can't. What happens after that? Do you have to just let the guy go? It's but called at a that balk. point, I mean, they award the base runner the next base. So at this point, teams are gonna exhaust those two attempts just so that they can have the opportunity. Like they'll just kind of take off. From first, or just gonna get a lead off first, just to draw one or two, and then they know you're not gonna do anything, and so. Right. I mean, it, so as, as again, as sort of annoying as the rule is, it's going to encourage steals, and that's good. Like that, yeah. it's fu- it's fun for there to be more action on the base paths, and all of these rules encourage more action. Like I like Rob Manfred sucks, and I don't like him tinkering with the game, but at least like the idea is to speed up the game and have there be more action. The last rule that's worth talking about is. The end of the defensive shift. So you've seen a trend. Oh, yeah, this one in I don't understand. Baseball over the course of the last few years, uh, where teams, even the even the ones that don't shift all that often, are like we're shifting something like thirty percent of the time, and the the most shift heavy teams were shifting like well over fifty percent of the time. And that what a defensive shift usually has meant has been that you pull one of your infielders to the other side from where they are normally lined up to the pole side of the infield. So if you have a right-handed batter up who frequently pulls the ball, like much more often hits it to the same side as the field where he is standing relative to the plate, which I, I don't know why I feel compelled to explain what a pole hitter means to someone who doesn't already know, but to uh, your to your audience, there I mean, you're you explaining it. it to my mother, and you're not explaining it well enough. We have a so. very broad audience, Bob. You have to explain it to everybody. That's right. So normally, what you would see, let's say a, a, a left-handed hitter comes up, like Matt Olson, the Braves' first baseman, who they signed uh, his first year last year. He is a almost a pure pole hitter. He hits the ball towards right field the overwhelming majority of the time he's a uh, left-handed hitter so he's up there on the right side of the plate relative if you're looking at it from above and he hits it to right field so the defensive shift for Matt Olson would be to bring usually the third baseman all the way across the field and have him stand in shallow right field past the infield dirt and in the grass 
behind the infield. And that gives you three defenders on the right side of the infield to try to prevent anything that's hit on the ground or lined softly towards right field to allow uh, your players to collect the ball. And what it has done is it has depressed the offense, right? right. Uh, you, because there are you can figure out the tendencies of every major league player because the sample sizes are fucking humongous, right? Like you're going to have five, 600 at bats in a season and you play for many years and you develop tendencies. You know, what's going to happen with the ball based on probability and you align your defense accordingly. That's gone away. All four infielders must be on the dirt or the infield grass when the pitcher begins his motion and each team has to have two infielders on each side of second base. So you cannot line up with three dudes on one side either. So I don't like this rule, uh, this rule change, because maybe it's not an apt comparison, but like to me it sounds like, hey, defenses, you, you can only run so many blitzes, right, in the NFL, right? right? You're, you're, I mean, there's a cost. I, I know that there are these trends, certain players hit a certain way m- many times, right? And so you're taking a pretty safe risk uh of shifting right but there's still a risk like if if the ball goes another way you leave the one side of the field totally exposed and then you know you suffer the consequence for it i would prefer a slightly different thing where could they not have limited it to the the side of the inning whatever posture you take in that inning you can't change it per player right so if you do some goofy thing that's it that that position is where you have to be for all three outs yeah i mean i guess i i just think like your players can go wherever the hell they want to go on the field and that should be yeah, that's fine weird the reason that those players are where they are most of the time is because you want them basically evenly spaced out on the right. field because the ball could go anywhere theoretically right, right. so like if you think that you're so smart that you know where the ball's going to go, like, good fucking luck. And, right. by the way, like, Matt Olson, it sounds like old man shouting at clouds stuff when I uh, say this, but in a crucial situation, Matt Olson should be able to lay a fucking bunt down right. and, and hit it to the left side right. of the infield where there's right. nobody within 150 feet of the ball if he can get it past the pitcher. Right. And then everybody runs like crazy. Like, the reaction to the defensive shift should be on the hitter yes. to be able to adjust his game. Right. And like it shouldn't be on uh, some rulemaking committee. But I guess they, they kind of let it run its course, and they're like, I guess not enough hitters were taking advantage of the open space, you know, because there's these players are just so – they have yeah. these tendencies, and there was no way around it. I know that the baseball rule book is thick, and it sounds silly for me to say, like, I don't like messing with the purity of the baseball rules because it is. It's like it's this weird arcane thing where they're – are a billion things to know and you watch a baseball game and it's like there like I've been watching baseball my whole life and I think I have a pretty solid get, grasp of the rules and there will be like a dozen times before the all-star break where I have to look something up or right. like something will happen on the baseball field and I'll be like oh but oh, that should be uh, what what is the rule on the boundary exactly <laughs> like I yeah. don't remember like what how exactly does this work but at the same time like the game is relatively simple you put eight guys out there in the field and uh, the one of them throws a ball at a catcher behind the plate, and the other guy holds a bat and tries to whack it, and like that's right. it. Like, yeah. and like trying to force people to take certain defensive alignments seems counter to the. It the seems like it's just the game. entirely an outcome-based kind of thing. Like the, it's not a sound process that they're implementing, but they just want to you know goose up the the offense or whatever. 
Right. And this isn't Little League. Like if I if I was in Little League and I know that this kid, there's a zero percent chance that he's going to pull the ball because he's a little squirt and he's like five years old. And like there's it's literally impossible that he's going to pull the ball. And I put my entire defense on the infield and also on the right side. Like that would be poor sportsmanship, right? right? That would be <laughs> shitty. But like this isn't that. This is Major League Baseball. Yeah. And if somebody's getting paid $25 million a year, he should be able to put the ball on the ground on the left side in order to produce for his team. Anyway, I think that's all of the major rule changes. I don't By the way, think. this is uh, a side note uh, to the point you were making earlier about how there are so many rules in baseball. Uh, and this is just all the different sports. The reason why I am always – in defense of the referees, it's because it is very difficult to get everything right when so many things are happening so fast, especially like at the professional level. And every right. once in a while, a umpire or a ref will call something, some rarely called things. Like they had that top of mind that they, this thing that they never called in like the last five seasons. Like they called. It's like, holy shit, you knew it that? It is their just entire job at that level though. I know, yeah. but it's if still remarkable they know, that they're able to. Yeah, it's it's impressive, but also they fucking better. Right. That is their whole job. Right. But again, we have basketball players, for instance, who get paid millions of dollars and they get, get a ball and has a, a free throw. No one is yeah. obstructing you and it's they can't make that shot. They get like paid. a free space yeah. and bingo. You're getting paid you know 40 what? million. It's a bad game is the right. thing. <laughs> the last thing in the uh, sports bag is the failure of regional sports networks. Like the Bally's? Bally's just went belly up. They but have, not the... Uh, I can never figure out a bankruptcy law, but they're, they're the kind of belly up that they're still around for a while. Right, they haven't disappeared. Yeah, they're right? not. They're not entirely out of business. They need to do a debt restructuring. Uh, the way that this worked was a few years ago when Disney was buying up the Fox property. Right, so Disney buys 20th Century Fox. Part of 20th Century Fox, or part part of the, this whole Fox empire, included the Fox Sports regional networks, and Disney was not interested in getting into the regional sports network business because they were already heavily invested in the ESPN infrastructure, right? Uh, that Disney also owns ABC and ESPN. Right. And so they weren't interested in getting into uh, the regional sports network game. And I think it was something like 20 regional sports networks were included in this or, or were part of this Fox package that they decided to ultimately sell off to Sinclair. Sinclair is a collection of television affiliates spread out all over the country. Uh, they're generally bad uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of their uh, editorial vision. They're sort of like your local conservative reactionary Fox News. And like there are a couple of examples of Sinclair pushing out news coverage from the national level down to the local level that was less than ideal uh, right. from a just the facts, ma'am, sort of perspective. Were, but anyway. they, were they the ones? Remember, there was like that video clip where all of the different yeah. affiliates they had the same copy that they're reading off of, and they were talking about the dangers to whatever, whatever. But it, it kind of, it, it was kind of weird and creepy just to see so many different. Tim Burke from Deadspin put together that video. I think it's probably the most successful video he's ever put together. Uh, to the point where it's it's completely gotten out of his hands, and it's like reposted frequently to 
Reddit and uh, Twitter and Facebook as proof of a great global news conspiracy that like the and, and but also it's most frequently posted by because most conspiracy theorist types these days are reactionary conservative types and so it's posted as proof of the way that the media is all always walking in lockstep when in reality it's closer to their ideology than they realize it is right. in all likelihood. It, it, yeah. Cause a lot of times, and you're right. I, I, I've seen that video clip a bunch of times. I've never associated it with dead spin or this person or whatever. Uh, so it's like the authorship has been lost, but you're right. It is presented as a critique of mainstream media, but this is like, these are just like these local affiliates, that are right. owned by a right-of-center conglomerate. I'll make sure there's a link to that video in the show notes. If anybody wants to check it out, it is worth watching. Anyway, Sinclair is the group that decided they were going to buy up this collection of regional sports networks. And if you watch sports in on your local cable package, you know what a regional sports network is. It's Right now, it would be Bally's. They used to be Fox Sports Southeast or Fox Sports region. Uh, yeah. Midwest Phil- or yeah. whatever the yeah. fuck it was. Whatever yeah. your region was, you had yeah. one. Uh, NBC still has a handful of them, like the ones here in uh, the D.C. area, I believe, are NBC-affiliated in some way. The Braves were on Bally's. A, a bunch of other, I think it's 14 of the Major League Baseball teams are on the Bally's Sports Network. And this was not a deal where Sinclair bought it and paid cash and now it's failing. They sort of created a shell corporation and then borrowed a whole bunch of money in order to buy this product. So this was a $10.6 billion deal. They borrowed something approaching $9 billion of that $10.6 billion and got the other billion and a half from outside investors and ended up only putting in something like a billion and a half themselves, I believe, in terms of upfront cash. And it has not worked out, as in many, many cases before, of leveraged buyouts, which is what this essentially was, when you put that much debt on a product and then experience any amount of profit decline, you're going to be in big trouble when it right. comes to servicing that debt. Now, these have been profitable. Like the all, Basically, all of the regional sports networks are, in fact, profitable and were bringing in more money than they were spending. The problem is that because this deal happened in 2019 and then we had the COVID lockdowns and yeah. the cancellation of a whole bunch of games where MLB only played 60 games in 2020, had that, had that weird shortened season that they had a lot of the advertising revenue dried up. Now, again, they made money. They made a huge pile of money in 2021. I don't have the number right in front of me. Let me see if I can pull that up. All right, so this uh, sold for more than $10 billion in 2019, made more than $2 billion in revenue in the first nine months of 2022, and more than $3 billion in revenue in all of 2021. So there was no shortage of revenue, and they were making a profit. The problem was that because profits were depressed, because of some increasing number of people are cord cutting, and therefore they're losing their subscriber base because most of these, all of these regional sports networks are on your local cable like they're affiliate. Tied to, yeah, so you're not making a, a, a separate purchase for it. It's usually part of the package, right? Right. Usually it's part of your uh, whatever your local cable package is, but if people are cord cutting, then 
Bally's or Diamond is not getting the $8 out of you, the right. customer, that's part of your $180 monthly uh, cable bill or whatever. And then you combine that with the fact that there were fewer games broadcast and therefore fewer advertising dollars came in. It all ends up uh, resulting in fewer profits. But again, like to really stress this, they were still profitable entities. It's just that they couldn't service that level of debt. And like this happens, this is not unique to the world of regional sports networks. This happens all the fucking time with these leveraged buyouts where somebody comes in and buys up uh, Toys R Us or whatever, and says, uh, you might be profitable now that we've restructured you, but because uh, r- profits are still declining, we're just going to have to close your store down because we can't afford to pay off this debt any longer. And it's just a shitty situation. And I found a couple of good articles about it that I'll make sure that I link to in the show notes. It's not going to impact anybody this year. As you alluded to, Abe, the Networks are expected to stay on the air and continue delivering uh, on the deals that they made with the teams to broadcast these games. Uh, The ultimate result of this maybe is if these regional sports networks are not viable long term, it's plausible that all of the streaming rights could revert back to the national leagues right right so major league baseball basically reclaims all of their broadcasting rights and then just sells mlb tv as a package to someone who lives in a local sports network which for me probably would be better because then i don't you never have to worry about blackouts right yes so like one of the annoying things about getting that i've complained about on the show before is you pay whatever 130 150 dollars a year to watch all of the baseball games and then because Uh, your favorite team then travels to your local area, I can't watch every time the Braves play the Nationals, right? Right. It it sucks. Which it's not that local. It's two hours away. It's a two and a half hour drive. It requires an entire commitment to a whole day if I want to go watch the goddamn game and I don't already subscribe to the local cable channel, which I don't because it's not on YouTube TV for some reason. Anyway, that would be one possible bright side to this is if it all I mean, not that you always necessarily want central control of these sorts of things, but the wave of the future is certainly uh, streaming. And I I have no problem with uh, the further death of cable companies. But that's what helps result in this. So, I mean, you know, the, the NFL, there are fewer games than baseball and the other sports, hockey, basketball. But like they have a top down kind of centralized system. I mean, they make deals as a league and then everything right. goes through that. So it's not like, you know, the Yankees do their own thing and then the Braves have the thing down here. Like, it's just like, Hey, this is the deal. We signed a deal with uh, Fox uh, to air NFC games, mostly CBS to air AFC games, mostly. Then the Monday night package goes to this company. Thursday night goes to Bezos and we're all making money. We kind of chop up the right. money. And nothing would preclude Major League Baseball from selling a package to whatever station in Atlanta decides that they want to run 50 games this year or something like that, right? Like if if a local affiliate in Atlanta decides they want to broadcast Braves games, they can make a deal with Major League Baseball and do that. And then you factor in like also this is going to be cheaper for Fox or whatever local affiliate wants to do it because they're also streaming these games in your – in your same market. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, it's an interesting story, and I'll make sure there are links to it in the show notes. Uh, that will wrap up the uh, WGAS sports bag for and now. we can just say goodnight. We could just say goodnight. Because you don't have anything else to talk about. I have so much other shit here. Uh, 
You asked Abe what to talk about. No, but with a ruse, it turns out. It was mostly because I didn't want to talk about the three different race stories that I have queued up here. There are three. I have really great news for you. You don't have to talk about them. So there's uh, Scott Adams Dilbert guy who goes on his YouTube stream. You're doing exactly what they want you to do if you talk about this. Tells whites to no longer associate with blacks because there was a Rasmussen poll that came out (laughs) that suggested that some 53% of black folks who were polled were not willing to say it's okay to be white. Like some some small percentage, less than 20% or something said explicitly it's not okay to be white and then some further 30 percent were not sure if it's okay to be white and i heard this uh presented i've seen it all over social media for the last week or so but i heard it presented on npr today in like wildly unfair ways which is not surprising uh but of course he also did this just to get attention yeah you're doing it the, the reason like but also, the fact that the Rasmussen poll even exists in the first place, to be clear, this is not a question that should be asked of anyone, right? right? Yeah. Like, well, I don't what know what the, sort of— Is this a question they've always asked? You know, like, sometimes they have these, like, right track, wrong track, are you better off? Like, do they always ask, like, it's okay to be white, and they compare I don't it? know, because I couldn't, I couldn't drill down into the numbers because Rasmussen has this particular poll fucking paywalled. So I could not— Unless I wanted to sign up to be a Rasmussen Pro or Rasmussen Plus or something, I couldn't actually look at the details and the history of this thing. So instead, I just had to rely on news stories about it. And then NPR, of course, tries to frame it as uh, white nationalists have used the phrase, it's okay to be white, to uh, try to uh, radicalize people online. It's like, no, that's not why Rasmussen was asking this fucking question. Like, And there, I'm sorry, but there are not... Uh, black folks who are responding to this poll who are saying it's not it's actually not okay to be white because they know that that's a phrase that white nationalists use to try to normalize anti-black racism like you are doing so much fucking jujitsu to get around talking about whether or not people should be permitted to say or uh, that it's a moral position to say it's okay to be white like for it's just not a valid question in the first place but also like whatever it doesn't matter you don't have to investigate and and imagine that the reason that black folks were saying it's not okay to be white is because white nationalists are the ones pushing it's okay to be white like that's not what's fucking happening there uh, and everybody trying to do the mind reading on this one is uh, is fucking crazy. Now, it, there's an outside chance NPR has the Rasmussen Plus package, right? And they dug right. into the numbers, and that's what it was, but likely not, right? Likely not. Also, Rasmussen is a shit goddamn polling organization <laughs> who consistently found that, like, Donald Trump was going to win the election by 10 goddamn points. Like, not that it was going to be close, but, like, that Donald Trump was just winning everywhere, right? So, like, we can ignore them. Did they predict it the first time? They did, yeah. Rasmussen was closer than anybody else because the other polls were generally so fucking bad. But, like, the idea that he was going to Mm. win, like, like that that Donald Trump has more popular support. Like, you cannot trust these people uh, when it comes to uh, gauging popular opinion, it seems. The, uh... Rasmussen Twitter account I follow, uh, mostly because whenever they release their daily numbers and all this stuff, they always have like a sponsor, and it's always like some fringe, like right wing, like 
book and it's like, you know, liberals are going to fucking stab your kids or something. It's like, right. here are t- this week's numbers brought to you by like that like incendiary title. And it's just always gets a chuckle out of me. It's like, okay. So that was Scott Adams making a, a personal effort to get canceled, it seems. Like that is the it only – It seems like that's working, right? I mean I saw the headline that they said that they were starting to distance themselves with his Dilbert articles or comic right. strip. His distributor has dropped him. He will not be published in any newspaper anywhere in the world any longer. And this is a guy – I don't know his net worth, but – Dilbert has been around since 1989. It is a massive marketing operation, like and merchandising operation. Maybe not as popular as it once was in like the late 90s and around the tech boom and like when people thought office culture jokes uh, of the Dilbert variety were funny. Did he? Uh, is he an example of like just he changed or? Is it a grift kind of scheme that he's running? Because it's not a was, grift. He's an interesting character. I have a book by him that right. I like. His books in the past, from what I've read, I mean, uh, from the last week or years two, ago or something. He's nothing like what he is, at least over the last seven years, because he was kind of on the Trump is a great persuader train right. early. So his, he he claims to be a political liberal, effectively. Right. He's a he's sort of. He he doesn't think of himself as a conservative, so whenever anybody describes him as a, like a MAGA Trump supporter, he insists that they're just factually wrong about and him. And he was not no in reason. the past, right? But, right, yeah. but no, even now, like I don't like the way, even the way that he phrased. I don't know why we're talking about this, but even the you way, that, even the way that he phrased his <laughs> discussion of this poll was as a sort of subjunctive, like it was as a if this is right. the case. Then you would be crazy to because like if in fact over half of black people don't think it's okay to be white and you take his framing of that question as like half of black people hate white people, then yeah, in a way it would be a little crazy to put yourself in a situation where you're surrounded by people who hate you because of the color of your skin. Uh, And I think what he's trying to do is frame the conversation in his in his what he imagines to be a clever way but is in fact just a clumsy trollish way of saying this is the way that the mass media talks about white on black racism all of the time right that and, and and the thing that he's trying to do in his clever way is to point out the hypocrisy of that but, and he's not exactly wrong not right? that clever, he's not but, exactly yeah. Wrong, but it's not terribly clever either. But is it like he just can't read the room? No, he's he is very clearly trying to not read the room. Okay, he's, but that's not a good way to whole, be. The whole game here is to get the mainstream media to freak out about him as much tizzy, as yeah. possible. Yeah, right. And it, like, who knows? I don't know. Like, I think he's going to be fine. I think he just gets a great fucking kick out of this shit. Very clearly, he thinks this is all hilarious, and that's fine for him. I just don't. Uh, beyond the Scott Adams of it, I don't know why this is a question being asked of anyone by anyone. Right. It's a nonsensical question. Further, Angela Davis, the uh, uh, actual Marxist and former Black Panther person, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was on Finding Your Roots last week with uh, Henry Louis Gates. And I will go ahead and play the clip. Abe, I'm not sure if you saw this or not. I did not. Look, she's happy. Angela Davis are descended from a patriot. Your fourth great-grandfather served in the Revolutionary War. 
And as you can see on the muster roll in front of you, he played the drums. Yes. So when you were studying the American Revolution, did it ever occur to you that you could have an ancestor? Absolutely who... not. Absolutely so not. What do you do with that information now that you know that you do, that you are descended from someone who did, in fact, serve in the American Revolution? Um, well, the American Revolution should have gone further than it actually did. Without a doubt. You know, but I'm glad to be able to have this information. Now. Oh, right. Uh, because, and, and, you know, one of the reasons, um, and I'm thinking off the top of my head right now. Of course. Because right? you only just um, threw all of this information at me. <laughs> we are improvising together. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm remembering that so many people have called those of us who fight, who try to fight against racism and, 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 and who have visions of a more radical democracy uh, as un-American. Yes. And, you know, I've, you know, always insisted that uh, uh, the, the, the best way to pay tribute to this country is to try to change it and, 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 and allow it to develop into the, the kind of um, a, a place where, you know, anyone can be free and equal and happy. Uh, I'm with you. So... So there's a sense in which I identify uh, with uh, the the identity of the patriot, but but it has to be a radical of course. Uh, identification. The, the most American thing you can do is to fight against injustice. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. By the way, um, she knew that. She would give me on this show, right? What do you mean this? Uh, you almost ambushed me, like right. So the first part of the clip is was there but like because she very clearly like sort of starts to panic like you can see it in she was her eyes yeah she wasn't expecting that uh, that, she, that she was rattled by that but she she turns that into like a pretty reasonable response right, right? like that develops into like like she's a she's a she's very practiced at this she knows how to turn it back to her favor this other clip is uh she's not as successful okay any idea what you're looking at that is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. No, I can't believe this. No. My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. You, your ancestors came no. on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You no. are descended no, 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 from no. one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much <laughs> to deal with right now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never. for this country? Never, <laughs> never, never. So just to be clear, those were like white people? Yes, white people. Okay, because they never actually say, I mean, it's implied, but... They say elsewhere that she has white ancestors. Okay. I don't think it was a, that was a surprise to me. Was her. that part? So that part is not a surprise. She knows that she, you know, going back, there were a mixture of people that were in her family tree. She cannot handle, after a lifetime of activism, of talking about the original sin of this country, the fact that 
like I don't know that she has specifically said this, but I'm sure that she has uh, said something along these lines that the 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 founding of this nation was fa- was a, a an immoral act that it was a right. it was an act of aggression against uh, people who were already here and that we have by virtue of wiping them out and stealing their land and then further enslaving uh, African Americans uh, for hundreds of years after that that uh, we have committed horrible acts. Uh, but, but but the we in that was never that personal for her yeah. <laughs> before. She is constantly identified with the oppressed in her retelling of American history and the way that the American Revolution and uh, up until the Civil War and no doubt everything up until the Civil Rights and, and, and everything that's followed since then, the way that she has identified is with the victims of that oppression, not as an, she probably has paid lip service to it in the past, yes. like a, like as a beneficiary of in some certain way, but like it's, she's never been confronted with it. And like, it's worth it to watch the video. I'll make sure the link of course is in the show notes, but like the, the panic in her face and in her voice, uh, it seems genuine. Right. Uh, and like she, she literally doesn't know how to deal with the fact that, that, all of these things that she said in the past about America's sin and the way that she conceives of responsibility carrying on down through the generations implicates her in a way that she's never considered before. Right. And and I I, I, don't, I doubt it. She's an old lady now, uh, but it would it would bring me some amount of satisfaction to imagine that this would impact or change the way that she imagines the world going forward in some small way. You know, what's what's interesting is that with her reaction being the way it is, that did she think other people who had a connection through family, like, I mean, this is hundreds of years ago, that they had some responsibility or some culpability in what somebody else did before they were even born? Like, it's kind of a, like, why should it matter I mean, this would be just like a trivial, like, oh, that's fine. That's interesting. I did not know that, that I came that way. But, like, it wouldn't change her argument in any way, the things that happened right. before. And crucially, it doesn't change her personal moral accountability right. or culpability right. for anything. Right. You are responsible. I know it's a radical fucking concept, but to the extent that you're responsible for anything or can be held accountable for anything, it has to only be your own behavior and decisions and choices to the extent that we believe that you're actually the master of those things, uh, you know. I don't know, right. but, but but from a legal standpoint, we tend to say you have to be responsible for those things, right? right? In order for society to go on functioning, even if we don't necessarily think that free will is all it's cracked up to be. But like the notion, and, and this is something that like, I've, like, I don't think that she's ever considered it before, but like the idea that I could be personally culpable for or responsible for or owe anyone anything for things done by people who came four or 500 right. years before me when, like, the, the, the family tree gets fucking crazy, by the way. Like, there, there's so many fucking people right. who are in your ancestral line because of the way this works, right? Like, the in the way that you used to hear about how, like, 35 of the presidents all share a common ancestor right. they're or all, like, fifth cousins like that, or some right? random thing. Yeah. Right, like Barack Obama and, and Bill Clinton, you only have to go back seven generations right. or something, and they're, they're I think like related. Cheney and Obama, like there's some sort of weird, like if you go far back, right? Enough. 
Right. And like that, it's fucking utterly meaningless. It's just a cool piece of trivia that's based on the way that species propagation works. Right. Right. So, but like the <laughs> idea that there's any sort of moral weight to any of that stuff has always driven me up a fucking wall. And it's why my, my old like indigenous since when. Right. right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's the like, like all of it is just fucking nonsense. And to watch it play out on her face was, was enjoyable. You know, to a you know what, what, what probably makes it worse in it. In a weird way, uh, is that she would have probably been, and not to put words into her mouth, but like I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, white elements uh, uh, in your family tree after the settlement, like through like rape and, and you know that that would be right. it would go down easier to say because it, it, it doesn't disrupt the the overall theory that you you know they were victimized and this happened and and there is some. European whatever in you, but it was through like rape, right? Uh, but now this right. is before that, right? So this is like like people who decided to participate in this, and your connection yeah. is to that. But again, there is no responsibility that you bear, just like no one else bears right. the responsibility. And I don't, right? And I don't. I'm not mad at Angela Davis for that, right. like, and, but like, n- neither should any of the people who work in the African Studies Department of wherever she teaches be angry at her for that. Right? right. Like, it, it would. It's an insane thing to do to, yeah. to try to hold that somebody must be like to moral account. An unexamined belief that, or maybe it is examined for some. An unexamined belief is that there is responsibility to bear for some people. Like if there was a direct line to that, which is faulty. This is not related, but it reminds me of a story that was just in the news where there was this border agent in the U.S. This guy was working for the Border Patrol. He would deport a bunch of people who were not legally allowed to be in America. For like 20 years, he would do this. I think this was like a story in This American Life also. I don't know if they were talking about somebody else, but this border agent was very adamant about you don't belong here. You don't have the paperwork. Fuck you. No sympathy. He had no qualms about disrupting families and doing all this stuff. And lo and behold, it turns out uh, he also was not legally here. And so they processed him out. And he's like, oh, fuck. Like, he, <laughs> like I am what all along I was hating. I kind of probably fucked up his uh, outlook himself. But, right. like, it can be good to tie your identity around these kind of external things. And that's why earlier when we're talking about sports, I wouldn't be surprised if people have their identity tied towards those records. People think in weird ways. Like they identify with things. Like if you told me like my my great, 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 whatever was like a genocidal maniac, I'm like, oh, fuck that guy. Like that's got nothing to do with me. Right. right. Like what? what <laughs> I've just, and I have a much more radically departed view of even my very near ancestors. Right. Like I, I, like it's just not to say that I don't love my parents and love my grandparents and and of course like I know those people. Right. Those are people that's that a, I know. That's a line but, to draw. But, yeah. People that right, you but know. Once we go past like I I have no memory even of my great grandfather on my father's side. Like I I'm sorry he died when I was very very young and like I, I'm interested in hearing his story. Yeah. That would be interesting. But like his father. Or his father? Like, I, I'm sorry. It has no impact on me whatsoever. It's, inter- it's purely interesting from an academic standpoint, but it doesn't do anything for me in terms of, like, my heritage or my ancestry right. or any of that shit. I'm sorry. I just don't care. I'm much more interested in what's actually happening in the world right. now. That's much more sustainable than the other ways of thinking, I think. Real quick, Fox News Dominion lawsuit. Uh, I'm sure that 
you've seen this if you follow yes. any news whatsoever. But the Tucker Carlson's and Laura Ingram's and Sean Hannity's uh, over there at Fox were talking in private text messages and behind the scenes at Fox about what a complete load of shit the election denialism of 2020 was. That Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani were crazy people who were constantly lying to them, and that's what they were saying in private. And then they were going on the air and not saying that, and, and they would bring them entertaining, on, right? They would bring right, them enter, on. entertaining the My Pillow guys' insane theories and Sidney Powell's insane theories about the Kraken and the Venezuelans and the Hugo Chavez's long dead who were secretly controlling American elections. And it's just a perfect example of a news organization who's much more concerned with telling the audience what they want to hear rather than uh, what's actually happening because their concern is not with disseminating uh, what's actually happening, but rather with cohering to a narrative that their audience already cares for in order to keep their audience watching. And if you think that this is a problem that is exclusive oh, yeah, to Fox News, right. then you're out of your goddamn mind, right. right? This is not, which is not to downplay how awful what Fox News did with regards to this stuff actually was. And I hope that uh, they have to fork over billions of billions of dollars because of it, right? Like there's not, uh, like free speech be damned in this case. It's not okay to tell lies that you know are lies in the guise of news coverage. Uh, that, that has nothing to do with free speech, actually. You're busy defaming people and, and libeling people, then that's not okay. Uh, but if you think that that's just... Uh, something that is the domain of the dirtbags at Fox. Uh, again, I think you're you're living in a dream world. The the I mean, there were many people that were uh, that looked bad, but I think what Tucker Carlson like his interest in all of this was just the bottom line. Other people at Fox News were making similar points. Were like, oh, they're bullshit. You know, the the, the crackpot lawyers that we have on, they're full of shit. Uh, Laura Ingram was kind of saying the same thing, but Tucker was tying, allowing this to like uh, the stock market. Like uh, there was a reporter for Fox News that would clarify and say that there's no evidence to support this. Kind of play it straight like a normal person would, and say fire this tweet. person. Not even on the not even on the right. in, on the air. She just tweeted right. about how like what Sidney Powell and said on Fox here is nonsense. Right. And, she just and tweets out that that small correction. Right. And he wanted her fired and he... Right. Does she not realize what she's doing to the brand, to the, what she's doing to the stock price? Exactly. So their concern is the price of the stock and also they're worried about if we tell them what we know to be true, right, which is what we're doing in this like WhatsApp group or whatever they're communicating, uh, we are going to lose viewers to Newsmax or some other outlet that would be willing to say it. So like they're right. basically trying to cater, pander to the an audience who would be receptive to it. Uh, and other outlets probably have a similar way to go about it. Maybe they're not so crude about it or, or so just transparent about it. The thing I always ask when we watch Fox News, which is sometimes, rarely to sometimes, the thing I constantly ask you is like, they can't be serious, right? Like, right. They're they're just full of shit, and you're like, no, they actually believe it. Like, I don't think that they do. It depends on who the they is, right? So, right. like, Tucker and what, is and what doing it is. a Tucker is yeah. doing a thing, yeah. right? And specifically, what the question is. But like, 
Tucker is spectacular at the thing that he does, and largely that is delivering to his audience the red meat that they uh, show up to his show to feast on. And sometimes he has a legitimate point, and that's when I'm most horrified by it, right? right. It's because if, if he is given the opportunity by a failure of the rest of the press to do what he does. Right. And even if he's only right one out of 10 times, which is he doesn't even bat at that high of a batting average. But the, the, the problem, though, isn't the yardstick isn't getting it right or wrong. It seems like does it align with uh, an existing worldview? Right. And sometimes right. the right thing does align with it. And when that happens, they'll go with that. And if it doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. They'll go with right. the other one. And way. I don't know how I don't know how any self-respecting human being who cares about what's actually going on in the world could ever watch the primetime Fox News lineup again when it is in fact in black and white in front of your face that they were lying to you in order to make you happy. Like <laughs> that that's weird to me <laughs> that you would debase yourself as a so-called news consumer and go on watching that shit after that's what's been made clear to you. And it's not the first time that Tucker Carlson has made it clear to you in a previous lawsuit. He talked about how his job is not to give the news. His job is to be an entertainer. Uh, and this goes even further than that. This is, he's willing to just tell lies in order to maintain his audience. And like, you, you should be personally insulted by that right, fact. Right. I, I do wonder though, like uh, I don't think that they're, Either of those or any of those primetime shows are going to lose viewers because of this, right? You don't think that? No, of course yeah. not. So absolutely not. That, that doesn't matter, and and it seems like they their position is, and I think maybe it would be helpful if everyone kind of saw it the same way, which is all of those cable news outlets, those that primetime lineup, or even the morning lineup, or whatever. Uh, they, they are trying to shape the news cycle, right? They're not like just telling you the news basically whatever is out there they try to shape it in such a way that fits something that they expect the audience to be into that's all it is it's right. kind of and shaping. i don't think and i don't think that they're true believers like i think that like laura ingram truly believes in the conservative project of ronald reagan and right. the the people that came before her in the like i believe all of that that doesn't but i don't think that she actually believes the shit that she's saying i truly think her main concern is having good ratings and right. continuing to get a paycheck from fox news uh and the, and the same goes for tucker obviously hannity is just sort of a dope like he's, he's just a <laughs> fucking dummy who does what he does but he knows his fucking market right, right. so but what and, and I do think that they all do generally hold to uh, a standard issue set of conservative beliefs that you would probably assign to them, right? Like, right. I don't think that they're fake in that way. Yes. But I'm weirdly less bothered by the naked capitalism of it all when it comes to the Fox News people than I am by the moral authoritarianism of the same exact thing that happens from the other side, which is that like the, the CNNs and the MSNBCs of the world and the, and the, and the much more mainstream, the, the ABC, CN, uh, CBS and NBC news outlets, the typical mainstream media that we would talk about derisively much of the time is not aware that they're doing the thing that Fox is so clearly aware that they're doing and instead tends to hang it on this sanctimony of just being right about things, right? right? That they are they are doing the right thing, that they have some sort of moral duty to go on doing the right thing, and that's what they hang their hats on. But that's not true. And, and it allows them to say things that are, in fact, not true. 
and to discount things like, for example, the lab leak theory, uh, which was uh, the, the Department of Energy, I think, for some yeah. reason. There's some, I, don't know, I don't know why they're the ones that we turn to for these sorts of questions. But the United States Department of Energy is one of uh, another federal agency that has decided that it's more likely than not uh, – they have a low confidence right. feeling that it's more likely than not that it was not a zoonotic origin for COVID-19. They have a low confidence feeling – that it's more likely than not. What? what? What's weird is that they have a low confidence, but they're confident that it wasn't intentional, right? It seems like they're like this was an inadvertent or some sort of leak through a lab, but it wasn't like like bioterrorism or whatever. Like this is just it's the, just it's just the amount of qualifiers, right. like. Is this yeah, like this is this is what you have to you have to super over qualify everything when you spent years insisting that it was racism well, to suggest I don't think that that's this why. No, that's not lab. it. This is just this is Julia's job. She deals in levels of confidence of threats all the time. Right. But like why do they why don't they say that they're confident that it did they, like well, they can't. It's too many negatives. Right, but the problem. I think. I think. I think it just was low confidence that it, it was a lab leak, not like low confidence that more likely. I, I think it's just low confidence that it was a lab. But leak. But if it's low confidence that it was a lab leak, that's not saying it was. Ex- right. Except though, I think the reason why the confidence isn't any higher is because China has kind of prevented any sort of digging into. Right. So yeah, they're kind of using sure. imperfect sure, sure, sure. evidence to draw these conclusions. So I don't know if. I don't know, in a few years, is there a chance that they can get more evidence, that they can raise it to high confidence or certainty? New intelligence has prompted the Energy Department to conclude that an accidental laboratory leak in China most likely caused the coronavirus pandemic. I don't I don't I don't I don't have a problem with the semantics there. Uh, Yeah, they're just not entirely confident. Yeah, 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 that's more straightforward. But again, it is weird how they they qualified it with a low confidence, but like they're. Whatever it is, they're certain that it's – so they're ruling out intentional because, like, no one would want – who? what country, what rational actor would mm. intentionally release this, right? Is that their thinking? Like, are they just – like, how do they know that it was accidental? Well, because I think that there are plenty of other investigations out there that suggest that this was – the Wuhan lab in particular was doing – Science that should have, like, let's imagine. I, I don't know the numbers because, again, not an expert, but from what I've heard and read about this, imagine there's a five point scale of biohazard safety. I don't think there is, I think there's four, but uh, imagine that there's a five point scale and that this is work that should have been done at uh, four at, at the next to most extreme level of biohazard safety, and instead they were doing this work at a two in okay. this lab, right? And then you combine that with the fact that this thing was spreading in October or November of uh, 2019 and uh, it, that there's, they've never been able to find an animal that had this. And further, this thing did not mutate in a way that is consistent with it being of zoonotic origin and combine that with the fact that the Chinese have been incredibly non-forthcoming with any of this information or allowing any of their records or, or the, the labs to be investigated. And, and you Ground end Zero – is right, right next to where Plus this lab is. Plus, Ground Zero is right there. Yeah, right. Uh, and like again, to tie it to the not not to tie it explicitly to the Fox News thing, but like it, this was something that you were 
you would be denounced as a racist as Donald Trump was for suggesting that it might have come from a lab in China. And again, I don't think it was helpful for Donald Trump to talk about this in terms of China did this to us and and Tom Cotton to say things about how this could be a military bioweapon right. unleashed on right. us by the – like that to me was never OK to raise that level of rhetoric based on what we knew. But again, to suggest as like the, the classic now John Stewart clip where he goes on the Colbert show – on CBS and just lays it out as plainly as you can where he's like, so wait, you're telling me that it came from a bat or a pangolin despite the fact that there was this lab literally in that same city, like down the street right. uh, that did this exact sort of research. Like, and the, like to be clear in like, if, if there's a conspiracy here, uh, the reason that we haven't found out more about this is because there's probably some National uh, Institute of Health money funded through various grants to private agencies that eventually made its way to the sort of work that was going on in Wuhan. Maybe not necessarily that exact work, right? I don't think that we can say Fauci lied and people died, right? That that right. That, that, that Fauci is personally responsible for funding the research that led to the coronavirus pandemic. That seems unlikely. But it seems plausible to me that because of the way that uh, this sort of work gets funded, the U.S. probably spent some money on work very similar to this, if not this exact work. And so maybe we're not, as a, as a country, terribly interested in getting to the exact bottom of this. And I wonder, to some extent, how much of the sort of raised tensions between China and the United States over the course of the last few months, including with this balloon nonsense and all the talk about Taiwan is perhaps somehow related to like neither one of us really wanting to come out and like yeah. finger finger the other for uh, our culpability in terms of developing uh, or, or in terms of uh, this thing leaking out of some lab in China. Right. I, I do think uh, on, on the attribution uh, early on, it was to assign blame, right? It was like, this country did this to us. And it wasn't like inadvertent, whatever, right? But the reaction right. at first were was like, not only is that not correct, absent any information, I'm just saying it's not correct, right? You can't post about it. You can't link to it. Like, I think all of those things, people just need to revisit and just say, just be a little more humble. You can make the case that, hey, you have no evidence to support that. That was like the... That would have been a firm position to take two, three years ago, right? Because at the time, right. there was no evidence. But when you categorically say something isn't true without any information, there's a possibility that this happens. Now, is it – if it is – And further, and further then sign this, assign the stain of racial hatred to right. anybody who, who brings it up. Right. That's not like, helpful like, either, <laughs> right? But the environment right. in where all of this is happening, no one's behaving in the right way. People are kind of – you know, the Kung flu thing, what was that? I mean, if somebody drew a connection to racial animus, like, that wouldn't be far-fetched. Like, why are you saying it right. that way, right? But if these major countries are fucking around in their lab, right, creating things, and sometimes things get out of the lab, it could have been worse than this, right? Because, you know, there are, there are like, viruses that are worse than this, but, like, it didn't spread as far as this virus did, right? So, like, if... Somebody was tweaking something at one of these labs uh, without all the safety precautions, and it was like some weird version of Ebola. Like, whomever right. gets infected, they're dead. But, like, 
Yeah, I think I think the major lesson of this pandemic, despite the millions dead, is like this could have been way worse. It could have been so much worse from the beginning. We said that, and it was plenty bad. But yeah, it was plenty bad. But it certainly could have been way worse if it didn't just kill fat people and old people. If it killed kids, if it targeted children, it would have been awful. Yeah, and I don't think it's and along these same lines. Remember the Cochrane study that we talked about a few weeks ago about the masks. Oh yeah, right. Uh, the, the the that group came out and did a meta analysis of masking and decided that in the real world masks right. don't have an impact right. because of basically because of the way that they're worn uh, more than anything else. That you you cannot say that th- there has not basically what the study says is there has not been a major study that proves that in the real world masking works. And uh, as I said at the time when we first discussed it, I couldn't find any major reputable outlets discussing it. And in the weeks since, I have seen the coverage expand basically to include uh, a dumping on the study entirely, right? <laughs> it's, it's just it's, – it's only been things that have said, well, but – but masks do work if you wear them right. right. It's like, yeah, but you're not understanding. You're you're very clearly still doing the thing that you've been doing all along and and trying to stake out the moral position as being the correct position and only doing so in the interests of flattering your audiences because you don't want to insult them after three years of telling them they have to wear masks and that they're good for wearing masks. Right. And also, it's very late now. Yeah. Also, anything that runs counter to your personal experience or the way you look at things – is going to be questions. I mean, when all of the, hey, this is a dangerous uh, uh, virus and precautions should be taken, uh, people on the individual level, if they got the virus and nothing came of it, they would say they're blowing it way out of proportion. But like, if you take the public health view, it is a dangerous right. thing, right? Similarly, there are people who are who have been wearing masks, right? All, the, all this time, they've taken all the precautions. And they staved off an infection for like two, three years, right? And they're saying, what are you talking about? Clearly, the mask is what did it. And now you're telling me that it had no role? How is it that I never got it and all my friends did, right? So it's like, I'm not going to believe the stupid right. It is curious yeah. that at work, when we had our little mini outbreak, when I was still wearing a mask, right. I didn't right. get it. So- but a lot of people who weren't in the break room specifically right. – did so it's like how do you it's it's, yeah. it's like okay <laughs> i believe your study i'm still gonna wear it because right. these people are disgusting right you've been listening to cast iron brains a podcast with bob and a find the show on facebook or twitter i don't know why i say that because nobody ever does and that's fine <laughs> i don't blame you uh you just head over to uh brainiron.com for a show note and uh, whatever else your little heart desires. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Head over to tetramermusic.com for more of him. Mark Gillig, who got Yay! engaged hip, this hip. week Look at that. in Hawaii. Congrats. Uh, you should have just gotten married, Mark. You've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> now you have to have like a fucking wedding and stuff. He uh, likes things. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's fine. Uh, I'm happy for them and the happy couple, but. Fucking weddings, man. Uh, <laughs> Abe, did you uh, did you go to the movies this week? Ant Man and the Wasp and the Ant Man and the West. Yes, and I, the bad I, black fella. I went to go see Ant Man three, and I went to go see uh, Cocaine Bear. Um, oh, nice! The Ant Man movie, a totally un like forgettable, nonsensical movie. Like I did not watch the first two. I just printed like three pages of the what happened before, and I got the gist. Oh, good. Right? Good. And uh, 
the movie it's is important just context. Yeah, it's like all right, why is this happening and all that stuff? But the movie doesn't make any sense. Like they, these Marvel movies, they need to retool what they're doing because they build up the bad character, like the villain, like like the first act is like this guy's unstoppable. He's like getting rid of everybody, and then it, by the by the end. Somebody punches him in the face, and that's it. It's like, all right, right, that's the end of the movie. Well, we're in phase five, I think, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Probably and should I, have ended I, it with the end game. If you have to say we're in phase five <laughs> of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you believe that you are way more important than you actually are, even in the minds of the people who continue to go see your goddamn movies, yes. right? Yeah. And this this movie made a big pile of money the first weekend and then and dropped collapsed. right the fuck yeah. off, right? Because yeah. Everybody who wanted to go see it saw it the first week, and then nobody's going to right. see it and, after this. And, and, and I agree with you. It's time to be done. Right. Like, they need to just do something else. But they're, they're not done. They're this was continue. always a shitty roster of superheroes, by the right. way. Not to go off on Marvel here. But, like, there's Spider-Man, and then Iron Man was cool, but only because Robert Downey Jr. was there right. to breathe life into the character. Nobody cares about these fucking characters. Right. I'm sorry. Maybe Captain America, but even he is kind of like, who cares? Uh, and a then, lame goddamn ripoff uh, of Superman. Lame. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, so on the cocaine bear, cocaine front, bear, it yeah. is exactly Good what trailer. What the title suggests, like it is literally just right. a bear on cocaine, and he's fucking everybody up, just mauling people on cocaine. I, I worry with this movie, which looked fun when I saw the trailer. My concern is that it can't possibly be more fun than the trailer. Like <laughs> once once you enjoy the trailer, not to say that like all of the gags or all of the stunts right. are revealed in the trailer, but like, oh yeah, it's funny. There's right. a fucking so, bear and he's fucked up on cocaine and he fucks with people and I'll bet that's a that's fun. But then I was like, but for ninety minutes? Right. Like I got a pretty good laugh out of two and a half minutes. They, they, I don't they, know they, if it can sustain. They were able to stretch it out for for, for a ninety minute thing. Uh Two things. One, uh, the parts that they don't show uh, in the trailer, uh, this theater was packed, by the way, more so than second week Ant-Man 3, right? Uh, Ant-Man yeah. 3 was like you know, 40%, 50% full. This is like almost 100%. And the weird thing is that there were a lot of kids there, like six, seven, eight-year-old kids, a lot weird. of them in this theater watching this movie. And what they don't show in the trailer is that when the bear mauls people, he mauls people like just you see stomach <laughs> linings out, just like it is uh, one of the yeah. goriest things that you'll see. And these parents are bringing these little kids to this movie. I don't know if they just saw the trailer and like, oh, let's show my kid a cocaine. I mean, bear. On the other hand, like it's not John Wick. It's not like he's killing. It's not like it's a guy with a gun killing 140 people over the course of 87 minutes or I something. I mean, it right? is a so it's, don't it's, do it's drugs. Natural. It's it's just yeah. nature. It's in the bear's yeah, nature. Yeah, don't do drugs. <laughs> right. And also don't mess with bears. Right. So both it's good lessons. So the cocaine is doing the uh, the cocaine. The bear is doing the cocaine <laughs> and uh, there are people that's out and about at this uh, national park and some of them are innocent just passersby just like these foreigners from Europe they're like, "Oh, look, we came to America and the first time we're on this fucking hike, we see a bear. Isn't this great?" And the bear is like, "Oh, I'm going to fuck them up. And he fucks them up. Like, they're innocent people. I mean, you know, John Wick, they're all mutual participants in this uh, violence, right? Yeah, I, I think I'd sooner show my child a bear mauling a person than I would show my child uh, John Wick doing Not 13 headshots in 11 seconds. Not the way this cocaine bear did it. I'm telling you, watch. <laughs> whenever it comes out on the streaming, whatever, 
It is a violent way to kill just blood and gore. This is loosely loosely based on a true story too, right? I mean, there's only one part of the story is true where there was just there was some sort of dumping of cocaine and it fell somewhere, but there's no evidence that a bear took the cocaine and you know, by by the end of the movie, his little cubs, the little little bears are doing cocaine too. Everybody's doing cocaine. <laughs> there are there are crack baby bears yeah. in this goddamn movie. Oh, <laughs> They're just running around or whatever. But before the movie, uh, they were doing the trailers, and there's a trailer for a movie called uh, Strays, like Stray Dogs, right? It is basically yeah. like a almost like a live action of the actual dogs, voiced over by like known people, like you know, like a Kevin Hart okay. or whatever. Uh, I, like Homeward Bound. Yeah, sure. But I have never seen a trailer get such a reaction from the audience. They ate it up. They were laughing so <laughs> much. And I don't know if it's, you know, just the dogs, just these cute little dogs. And then, like, the voice actors are cursing at each other. It's just like that threw them off. And maybe is this, was, a, this is a grown up movie for the. It the, is, but remember, the there are a lot of talk. seven, eight year olds in right. that theater. So I. I, again, I've watched a lot of movies and I've had to sit through all three, all through these uh, trailers. I was startled by they were laughing the whole night. <laughs> it was like, what the fuck is like happening? Like maybe they're all on cocaine themselves, but they were really into that trailer. Did any small children run out of cocaine bear <laughs> crying and screaming, no, or was no. it? <laughs> but know, these are hard kids. Their parents know them. They're, it's fine. Halfway through, some of the kids were running around the uh, the. Up and down because they couldn't sit, you know. That sounds right. Not acceptable. No. That's why you go to the Alamo where they kick those bums out. <laughs> uh, anything else that you watched no, you want to talk I, about I, this I week? I tried to squeeze in uh, Jesus Revolution. I couldn't. Uh, I'll, I'll try to watch Ooh. it this week. But that did pretty well in the uh, box office. We watched uh, Spider-Man from 2002 with we the did. children. Oh, nice. It's still good. Uh, How did the kids to- like it? Tobey Maguire. Kids loved it. Uh Although for some reason insists that Iron Man is better, which I no, I it's only because Bob. W- the movie ends. He can't say anything nice. Movie ends. That's ah, a great movie. Way better than Iron Man. <laughs> just like okay, that was the most recent Marvel movie that we've watched. Yeah, but and like, you could just leave it. It, at, it was obviously was better. Nice. And it's like a real movie. It's not some stupid like uh, stakes-free superhero movie. Right. I mean, it's still a silly, yeah, it's a still goddamn a uh, comic book, comic book movie. Yeah. Ultimately, but like it's still, it's made by Sam Raimi. It's got plenty of like Sam Raimi flavor in it, right. uh, to the point of being just ridiculous at times, but in an enjoyable way. Where it's got like some, it, it's got flavor and character. It's good. Uh, and a second one is obviously a good movie too. I don't think I've ever seen the third one all the way the through. Third one is weird, yeah. And uh, I think I like it more than the second one, which it's. It's just because I like it more. It's very weird, bad movie, but it's weird. Is that the one yeah, where he's dancing around, it's, changing clothes? Or what? It's the one where he's weird emo. Yeah. He's like emo evil Spidey yeah. for it's a great. few minutes. Yeah. Like, do stuff. <laughs> uh, and I and we'll watch the next couple. The second one, of course, is regarded, like, widely regarded as one of the greatest uh, superhero comic book movies of all time. Sort of universally beloved. And then the third one was a, a disappointment, yeah. relatively speaking. Although made more money than either of the first two. But sometimes it's like a, a delayed reaction. Sometimes the next movie does numbers based on the previous movie, right? Just based on expectations. Right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I always wanted to be fucking Spider-Man. So uh, when, when I was 19 and that movie came... like that's a, It's such a weird movie, too, because it comes out on the heels of 9-11, like the next summer, I yeah, think. Yeah, there's a big after America 9/11. in it. 
and they it even has like new yorkers like being new yorkers and it's like trying to explain to the kids like there was a time when everybody just fucking loved new yorkers because of what happened on right. 9-11 it's not like that anymore no. those are obnoxious people uh but for a while there like the battery throwing and brick throwing new yorker had a certain charm yeah. after 9-11 like uh you want to mess with us we'll throw our batteries at you <laughs> you green goblin piece of shit uh and everybody cheers and then, of course, the final shot of the film is Spidey going up on the Empire State Building next to the uh, the American flag and all of that. Anyway, it's a good movie. Yeah. And, a, and a like an actual movie, not like the Ant-Man 4. Uh, what else did we watch? Anything? Um, we've been watching that show still. Yeah, we watched two more episodes of, of Years and Years and we on started HBO. a Christian movie, even though we didn't finish it. Yeah, and we watched some shitty Amazon Prime uh, Jesus movie. But it's shot in Athens. Which was filmed uh, in no kidding. Athens, What's it called? Georgia. Yeah. What was it called? Group, small Group? Small Group. It's on Athens. Or it's on, uh, it's on Amazon. Athens. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and it's it's not even... It's just sort of boring. Like, it's not as bad. No, the none of them are as good as the good ones. It's not bad enough to be good in some gotcha. ways. It's still like it's still dre- it's dreadful, but it's not yeah. like enjoyably dreadful. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we have The Last of Us, which, in my opinion, delivered the worst episode of the season so far. Really, you didn't like it? Uh, it was very like laid back until it wasn't. Bob hates teenage girls. All right, so much. <laughs> you want to qualify this as a teenage girl problem? You did that. What was no. The, what was I the objection? A, I have a problem with with teenagers. Acting as though they know what the fuck they're doing and not being uh, interrogated for that fact. Uh, I mean, granted, yes, there are great consequences to their foolish decisions uh, made throughout this episode. But it's not just teenage girls. It's teenagers writ large uh, that I I have problems with. We watched (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah. Full of teenagers. So, okay, this kind of fills in some things because... uh, this is where the bite happens, right? Um, right. I, she gets bitten for the first time and doesn't they're die. They're both bitten, yeah. and I t- they didn't show it, but like I take it that when the her friend turns, she was going to shoot her or just like leave her in the mall to play Mortal right. we Kombat. We don't know what happens. Yeah. Uh, presumably, the friend turns while she's still there, and I guess that she has to shoot her or otherwise run away. I don't know if we'll get an extended ending to this flashback scene. I don't think we'll ever find out. And this ties into then Fedra capturing her. That's where they realize, oh, she's not infected. She's immune. And it ties into like the beginning of the show, right? Where they have her under. Right. So this is how, so yeah, presumably the fireflies realize that she was bit three days ago or something by the time that they find her. And then they, uh, chain her up against the wall to see if she's ever going to turn, and then we lead into the right. events of the show right. from there. Uh, and yeah, like I guess suppose that's satisfying in some way to go back to the beginning and find out uh, how the story started. But in terms of this episode, like I was just bored by it. I know this is a silly criticism about a show that's based on a video game, but all of the dialogue felt like video game dialogue right. to me. Like, I, I just didn't fucking care. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't particularly revealing or nuanced or good. It was just boring, stupid television, I, I, and I did not care. I read online that it was kind of beat for beat from the video game, so maybe that's what kind of you didn't mm-hmm. like. The, the one one Probably. aspect of the I, I liked the episode. The one thing I did not like, I wanted an answer to 
the Pedro Pascal guy falls over the horse. Oh boy, I'm bleeding out. Womp womp, right? Episode ends. The episode begins, and now he's situated in some sort of barn or house or something. Like, how did in a, in the right, seemingly in the basement of some house? Uh, and how how the fuck did they get there? And, Who knows? And I, they just did the cut scene in the you cut and you drink your energy juice that you have stored because you've been playing the game for so yeah. long. You've stored up <laughs> your energy, energy pack, juice. Yeah, yeah. You get keep feeding. Health goes down. Health goes down. Doesn't matter. Right. Keep feeding him. The health points till you can do your flashback. Right. And by the way, of all of the things that break your suspension of disbelief for it to be like, how did he drag himself uh, some hundreds of yards to some house that they found uh, relative to like, oh, she just turns the lights on at the mall and everything fucking works again after 18 years. Right. Like that's where that's where my suspension of disbelief <laughs> was just fucking done. Like, I'm sorry, but the fucking carousel and all of the incandescent light bulbs on it they don't work after 18 years and the film in that uh in that uh photo booth that they go and do that doesn't work any it, yeah they show that it's faded but bullshit that doesn't but fucking was, work at all that after 18 years mostly left alone after the initial rush right at least that's how they and, and they're, do you and, know how quickly shit descends into its uh broken state how quickly chaos takes over and reigns after it is not cared for for even the briefest periods of time there's no way any of that shit fucking works anymore impossible and that was uh so not a big fan of the episode no Hated and there's the uh we're not even getting a clean 10 episodes it's nine they're cutting it at nine so we only get was this seven or eight? This was seven. Next one is eight, and a, and I heard the final episode, the ninth episode, is like forty some odd minutes. It's not even like a longer, less tie everything. Oh, wow. For them, tell get take the time you need, and not more, and not less. Yeah. Do it in the amount of time you need. Anyway, uh, beautiful production design. Uh, that's that is the full credit that I will give to the show. The mall looked fantastic. It looked correctly lived in in terms of like like it wouldn't surprise me if they had just aged a mall for 18 years and or just like, went to a current uh, mall or, or just went right went went to the mall and put out some cobwebs because uh malls are pretty bleak these days anyway uh but aside from my my appreciation of the production design uh it's a shitty episode of tv and i don't care about you ellie or your dead girlfriend don't care at all <laughs> abe have you got anything else for us tonight <laughs> nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. I mean, she's basically going to be the show, right? You got to get on this uh, train, Bob. There's no way that the, the Pedro guy's going to live for too long. Like, look at him. He's already wounded. She's got to have another register besides anger. Like, I just, uh, like, and the actress herself, the, the, she's spectacular when that bite happens. Yeah. And when she, and like, the, try, yeah. And she's, she looks at it and she rubs it right. and she gets that fucking rage right. at the unfairness of it all. Like, that's amazing. And she does, it's the same uh, register that she has in HBO in the in the Game of Thrones like it's that oh, that's right, like yeah. the righteous the righteous fury of her is spectacular the rest of it 
Like they, they had no chemistry for me. Like, I know it's weird of a 40 year old dude to, to critique I'm the chemistry <laughs> of a, of a couple of teenage lesbians. This is also the guy who earlier that day I came home and he was playing Spider-Man, the video game. Yeah. And you have to be Mary Jane for a little while. And I said, Oh, how's that going? And he said, she's not taking her clothes off and playing with herself. So it sucks. <laughs> That was a joke. Yeah, that was clearly a joke and not representative of my actual feelings. Bob just loves women. Just all the respect. Did you, did you buy the uh, episode three with the two dudes? Were, uh, the, you, you bought that love story, but not the, the two teenagers. Yeah, those yeah, are men. That was those are men, Abe. And well acted and well written and believable. A pattern is emerging. This was not. It has nothing bullshit. A pattern is emerging. I have an objective standard that I'm applying to both episodes. One of them was well written and objectively good. One of them was poorly written, poorly performed, and objectively bad. Gender has less than no impact here. I will acknowledge I have a certain amount of uh, disdain for the characters based on their age, but that's oh, so it. it's an age thing. Okay. Fair enough. With Cast Iron Brains, you can count on thoughtful, engaging conversations that will challenge your assumptions and expand your horizons. So buckle up, because we're about to take you on a wild ride through the ups and downs of the 21st century. You should uh, feed it prior intros that you've written and say like that, and the robot will figure it out. I guess, because that's fucking dreadful. So, a few weeks, so... Gosh, you couldn't save it for next week and not just don't read the news all week and then just pretend that we're in this week. All right. Next so, week. So this is a graph of 